0: There are so many ways you can support HUG. All you have to do is visit our website, heartsunitetheglobe.com, to see how you too can help empower, educate, and enrich the lives of individuals in the CHD and bereaved communities. Thank you all for your continued support.
1: I am on the list four months as of now, so COVID has really thrown a wrench in the whole process.
0: Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna. I am Anna Jaworski and the host of your program. This is the last episode of season 15. I'm really excited because we have returning guest, Keith Flynn. And our episode today is entitled Update on Keith Flynn, finally on the list. Keith Flynn was born in 1975 and shortly after birth, he was diagnosed with ventricular septal defect, double inlet left ventricle, pulmonary atresia, and hyperplastic right ventricle. He had two BT shunts at age six months and five years and a modified Fontaine procedure when he was 15. Despite experiencing atrial arrhythmias in early adulthood, Keith received limited cardiac care in his 20s and early 30s. In his 30s, Keith started experiencing syncopal or fainting episodes, and on one occasion he was rescued by his wife after fainting while swimming. As a result of these episodes, Keith received a pacemaker and recording device and was treated with Sodorol, a beta blocker. However, Keith had begun to experience fluid retention related to heart failure, and doctors told him that he would need a heart and liver transplant. He is currently listed for both organs. Keith first appeared on Heart to Heart with Anna in October of 2019. And since then, a lot has happened. So he's joining us today to give us an update on his journey. Welcome back to Heart to Heart with Anna Keith.
1: Hi, Anna. I'm excited to be back with you to give your listeners an update. Thanks.
0: It has been almost a year. Let's talk about the test because we know that on TV and in the movies, they don't really show everything that happens. Why don't you talk to us first of all about some of the procedures and testing that you've had to have between October and today?
1: Sure. Yes, it's very involved. It is not a 30-minute television show where someone gets sick, needs a heart, and gets one and walks out of the hospital. I've seen so many episodes of TV shows like that. It makes me cringe because it gives a false sense of expectation really to anyone who thinks about a heart transplant or an organ transplant. All right. Since October, I was going to Philly about once a month for doctor's appointments and tests. Some of the more notable tests I guess I've had is a right heart cath. I have to have one of those once a year while I'm going through the process of being listed and while I'm on the list. So if I'm listed for a year, I'll have another right heart cath.
0: Hold on one second. Okay, I've heard of heart caths, Mm -hmm. but specifically right heart cath, is that because of your right ventricle that they're not really looking at the left ventricle? They're just really looking at what's going on on the right side?
1: Yes, what they're trying to do is measure how much worse my heart is from the last cath that I had. So they're kind of getting a sense of how quick the functionality is failing.
0: Really? Yeah. No, that does make sense. Okay. And they can't see that on an echo on a less invasive procedure. It has to be done in a cath.
1: That's correct. They feel that Uh they get better measurements just because of the anatomy. Mm -hmm. The normal formulas you would use don't work on my heart, that would work on a regular heart just because of all the different, for lack of a better term, pipes I have going in and out of there.
0: Well, yeah, because of so, the Fontan.
1: Exactly. Right? exactly right. right. Okay. And so the really neat thing about this last right heart calf I had was they actually went into the neck and not the femoral artery, which is accessed in the growing. It made for a much quicker recovery time. And that's the first time I've been able to experience that. That was really nice. Actually, oh. it was out within two hours.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. That's a huge difference.
1: It is. Normally you have to lay about four to six hours on your mm-hmm. back if they use the femoral artery for the calf. So it was much nicer. Wow. And then I had a test called a sniff test, which is exactly what it sounds like. You basically stand up and sniff while a radiologist takes x-rays. And what they were trying to see with that is through one of my previous procedures, they felt they had paralyzed part of my diaphragm. Okay. That Is not the case. It just happens to be that the left side of my diaphragm is lazier than the right side of my diaphragm. It sounds like it's paralyzed when they listen with a stethoscope. Uh And I also had CT scans. They started a new procedure where a CHD cardiologist has to review the CT scan because they had a not so desirable event that happened where they did not see a hidden blood vessel when they were doing a transplant. For the so mm-hmm. they have the CHD cardiologist look at it because they're better with how the anatomy set up on patients who have had previous surgeries and procedures. And then I also had the fun of being in an MRI tube for about two hours for a oh. liver scan so they could get an idea of how everything is mapped out in my body around my liver. Wow. Or they go in. Okay, And of course, the blood work and doctor's appointments that go every month. But until COVID hit, we were having to go to Philly every month, but they actually started doing a lot of my appointments unless I needed to be there over the internet, which has been very nice.
0: Well, yeah, I imagine that's a lot nicer for you. You don't have to worry about parking and all the walking that has to be done because that's a pretty huge medical complex, isn't it?
1: We actually go to Pearlman which is the Center for Advanced Medicine right across from University of Pennsylvania Hospital. Okay, And they pretty much have everything that I need right in there. It's rare that I need to go to the hospital. And actually there's a tunnel that connects to the hospital from Pearlman. It's very convenient the way they have it set up, honestly.
0: Oh, well, that's nice. That's really good. So the big news is that from last year, you knew you needed a heart, but you hadn't qualified for being on the list. Talk to us about getting on the list.
1: Yeah, in April of this year, I was working from home and I get a phone call from the transplant department and they said, hey, would you like to go to your local lab, get some blood tests done, and we'll put you on the list this afternoon. Well, that was kind of a shock because we hadn't really been updated much. I'm like, well, you know, I don't know about that. Let me discuss it with my wife and we'll see. Of course, I want to be on the list, but now's not the best time. And they said, that's fine. We'll work with you my wife and I had a conversation and we realized that we were both in the middle of kind of big things at work and we needed to get through that. So we waited two weeks. And on May 6th of this year, I was listed. And I was listed as a status four, which is the highest status you can be without being in the hospital. I was freaked out every time the phone would ring and I would see the transplant department for the first few days. But Mm -hmm. after that, it gets normal again, and it's going to be unexpected when it happens. And they warned me about that. So they said, you'll get in the groove, you'll be living your life, and then one day it'll just happen.
0: So you are able to be home, you're able to work, you're not having to be in the hospital?
1: That's correct. Yes.
0: That's a huge relief given COVID and what we're living through right now with this COVID-19 pandemic.
1: It is. And that's something that a lot of people ask about because you see people in the hospital waiting for a heart or the majority of people who lived a normal life, got heart failure and needed a heart transplant. They ended up waiting in the hospital. I was talking to a doctor about that and he explained it this way. He said, since you've had CHD your whole life and different surgeries and procedures, Your body's kind of used to adjusting to those strenuous situations throughout your whole life, and it gets really good at it. Even in heart failure, our bodies are constantly adjusting with the changes, and they're accommodating it the best they can. It gets tougher, but it wouldn't be as tough as someone who had a perfectly functioning heart and then started experiencing heart failure. If that were the case, they'd probably feel much worse, and they probably wouldn't be able to work and do the normal things that they can do. And this is one of the reasons that a lot of CHD patients can stay at home and wait versus waiting in the hospital. But we're all different. My situation may not apply to someone else with CHD. Every one of us are unique. Our histories are different. The procedures and everything we've had done. Basically, it all comes down to timing as well. The goal of the transplant team is to get you listed and transplanted before you get too sick. Because a they don't want to mess up a good life that you're having and b they don't want you to be too sick where the transplant doesn't take it's kind of a timing issue there
0: absolutely it sounds like a juggling act
1: yeah exactly it, it really is texas heart institute were offering us a mechanical heart and he said no dad i've had enough give it to someone who's worthy my father promised me a golden dress to twirl in he held my hand and asked me where i wanted to
2: go Whatever strife or conflict that we experienced in our
1: long career together was always healed by humor.
2: Heart to Heart with Michael. Please join us every Thursday at noon Eastern as we talk with people from around the world who have experienced those most difficult moments.
0: This content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. The opinions expressed in the podcast are not those of Hearts Unite the Globe, but of the hosts and guests and are intended to spark discussion about issues pertaining to congenital heart disease or bereavement.
2: You are listening to Heart to Heart with Anna. If you have a question or comment that you would like addressed on our show, please send an email to Anna Jaworski at Anna at hearttoheartwithanna.com. That's Anna at hearttoheartwithanna.com. Now, back to Heart to Heart with Anna.
0: Before the break, we were getting to know about Keith being added to the transplant list. Keith, in this segment, let's talk about your experience living as a heart warrior during a pandemic. And I know we already alluded to this a little bit, but let's talk about what changes you've had to make with your life. What challenges have you had to face?
1: I think our challenges up to this point have been pretty normal just because it's pre-transplant. However... I think it was easier for my wife and I to transition into this being careful and the things that we have to do than most people, because my wife Susie had been preparing us and stocking us up on hand sanitizer and antibacterial soap and disinfecting wipes. She was anticipating how we would have to live post-transplant. Sure. And then when COVID hit, we saw the guidelines and what they were asking everyone to do, basically decided to start living our lives like it was post-transplant and my uh-huh. immune system was compromised. We kind of chalk it up to practicing for how post-transplant life will be. And one of the things that helped is we were both able to switch to working from home easily. We've actually become a lot closer as a couple because of this. We do things like we get a few restaurants, we cook at home more, and we just try to limit our exposure. To crowded places. Besides that, the new normal, I guess.
0: It's kind of cool. In a way, this is preparing you for what's going to happen after you get your transplant. Exactly. Wow. See, so there can be a silver lining. (laughs) That's
1: right. (laughs) Always have to look at the positive in life.
0: And the one thing that I've been thinking is okay, so now the whole world has a better idea of what we live with. Those of us in the congenital heart defect community where we are getting ready for a surgery, not just a transplant, which of course is a huge big deal, but even when my son was between surgeries and post spontane, we had to live like this, but the whole wide world didn't have to live like this. And I'm feeling like, okay, maybe some people now know the danger of germs and how you can get something that you think is just going to be the flu or a really bad cold, and it can kill you. That's been the case for centuries, but I just don't think everybody's eyes were open to that. Right. Well, I'm glad to see that it hasn't negatively impacted you. If anything, it seems like it's been a positive experience for you. Right. But it's been scary for most of the world to live during this pandemic with all of these restrictions. You said that you're staying home, you're not going to restaurants. How has it impacted your social life?
1: My wife and I were members of TRIO, which is a local transplant organization, which helps people after transplant get together and support each other. They had monthly meetings, and of course, those have been canceled. They're meeting on Zoom now. My schedule has been really busy lately, so I haven't really kept up with it. But that was kind of our social activities. We're new to the Baltimore area where we're living now, so we hadn't socialized a lot. And I'm kind of a natural introvert, so it's rare that I go out with the intention of socializing. However, we recently started back at in-person church services and Bible study, which has actually been very nice because I really did miss that in-person social interaction yeah. And even with mask and social distancing, it's wonderful. It's a welcome change. And besides, my wife and my cats are getting tired of my jokes. So I have to have a different audience. So.
0: I love it. I love it. I think I read on LinkedIn that one of the unexpected Results of COVID and so many people being restricted and staying at home is that there are fewer car accidents, and therefore, at least in certain areas, there are fewer organs being transplanted, that the number of transplants has significantly decreased. Has this been something that's been discussed with you?
1: I'm not sure that that's a direct correlation. I I would imagine it is. I know some of the Transplant facilities did stop doing transplants when COVID hit. Penn did not. Yes, there's been less automobile accidents that would result in fewer donors being available, as well as people going out and doing things that may normally contribute to the donor pool. I would imagine there is less of a chance of getting an organ right now. However, it does look like things are getting back to normal. Mm -hmm. So we'll just kind of have to see how that plays out.
0: Has COVID-19 impacted your treatment plan?
1: Absolutely. Right when COVID hit and it was getting to be big, everything got shut down. Mm -hmm. Uh, There were no lab tests. There were no doctor's appointments. Everything got canceled. And we didn't know when that was going to pick back up. I was able to go to my local lab, get the blood work done that normally needs to be done regularly when you're getting tested for transplant or on the waiting list. The local lab here was great. They have good social distancing policies. They're worried about keeping their guests safe. So that's been nice. And as far as my appointments at Penn, they started doing online appointments, which was really nice. They only bring me into the clinic if there's something that they need to find out via a test that they run there, or they just need to see me to evaluate me in person. And everything else has been through telehealth. And honestly, if anything comes out of this when they start lifting the restrictions, I hope telehealth can stay because it's actually saved us a lot of time and money not having to go back and forth to Philly each month when they can just do it with a telehealth appointment.
2: Hi, my name is Jamie Alcroft, and I just published my new book, The Tin Man Diaries. It's an amazing story of my sudden change of heart as I went through a heart and liver transplant. I can think of no better way to read the Tin Man Diaries than to cuddle up in your favorite Hearts Unite the Globe sweatshirt and your favorite hot beverage, of course, in your Hearts Unite the Globe mug, both of which are available at the Hug Podcast Network online store. Or visit heartsunitetheglobe.org. Home Tonight Forever by the
0: Baby Blue Sound Collective.
2: summer camps for CHD survivors, and much, much more.
0: Before the break, we were talking with Keith about life as a heart warrior during the age of coronavirus. Keith, it's great that you're able to keep working despite the pandemic and your current health status. Finances can be an added challenge for people facing transplants. So I thought we'd start this segment by having you talk a little bit about what you've learned about financial support when you're facing a transplant?
1: That's a really good question. We could probably do an entire episode on this question. Right. I think there's a lot of challenges financially when you're facing something as epic as a transplant. And I think there's some main points that have to be considered by everyone who's going to face something this major. Mm -hmm. And a few of those points, I'll tell you what we thought about and what I think would be helpful for other guests who may be listening I think you have to save as much money as you can. That's the first thing, because it's going to be expensive. You're going to have travel-related stuff. You're going to have all kinds of stuff that you don't realize. No matter if you have insurance, you can have the best insurance. You're still going to have to come out of a pocket on a lot of stuff. Pay off as much debt as you can. If you have time to prepare for the transplant, you want to have as few bills as you can going into the transplant to worry about. Sure. You also want to plan and budget as much as you can with your money and be intentional with your money. Mm -hmm. And then one major thing that's helped us, you need to communicate with your employer, whether you're the caregiver or the recipient. You need to let your employer know what's going on because sometimes smaller company, but mid to larger company, there's probably programs that they have available that can assist you. My company, Disability Rights Maryland we have a sick leave pool where employees can donate sick leave time and I can get some of that sick leave time that will kick in until my disability policy kicks in. If I'm out for that long, I'm covered at least with a little bit of money coming in. That's really
0: helpful. That's really nice to know. Being able to donate a day or two of sick leave could really make a difference for you.
1: Absolutely. I was a newer employee there, so that helped a lot. I didn't have a chance to build up as much sick leave Mm -hmm. as I could have. And I'm still working, so I'm still building that. But I still, probably by the time I have my heart, I still couldn't have saved the maximum time of sick leave. So it helps out a lot. And also you need to be very open with your insurance company and talk with them because a lot of them have nurses who will check on you. A lot of them have advisors for these types of situations for instance, our insurance company agent came to my wife and had meetings if anyone wanted to talk to him. So she told him about what we were going through. And he said, well, here, fill this form out. I'll see if I can get you some travel reimbursement money. They were able to give us a budget to where every time we go to the doctor, we can file a claim and they will reimburse us for a percentage of the money we spent going to the doctor if it's transplant related.
0: Wow. So there's that's things like great. that Yeah. Yeah. Now, is that common knowledge for anybody who goes on the list? Or is this something that you've investigated above and beyond what your transplant team would tell you?
1: This is just things we found out. And I think the last point that I would mention right now is every financial social worker I spoke with at a transplant facility suggested to start some kind of fundraising mechanism. And we did that as well. We haven't pushed it as much as we probably should have. And we've had some generous people give. But the reason for that is you may have everything covered up Mm -hmm. to the front side of your transplant, Mm -hmm. but you never know what's going to happen on the back side of the transplant.
0: Well, absolutely. You have to call the meds. All kinds of stuff can happen.
1: Yeah. 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 Complications. For instance, I was talking to a gentleman a couple of weeks ago who received a transplant about a year and a half ago. And until COVID hit, he was just paying out of pocket for extra rehab because he knew he wouldn't go to the gym as much as he should. There's all kinds of costs that you can't really anticipate.
0: Yeah. And you don't even think about, right. Don't forget about rehab after. And if all the gyms are closed, right. If you even thought about that, but that's so important because if you don't rehab properly, you're not going to have a good quality of life. Exactly. Wow. Those are all good points. And that brings me actually to the next question, which is what kind of emotional support do you have at this time? Because this is a very emotional experience. And for you, you're talking a double organ transplant. That really is tough. And you said you've had a couple of generous people who have already given to you, but how does this affect your relationship with other people emotionally?
1: As far as emotional support, I am very blessed in that aspect of it. I talk to my family a lot. I talk to my mom every day. My wife's been an angel. You're
0: such a good son. Hi,
1: mom. I know she's listening. (laughs) Hi,
0: mom. I sure wish my sons would talk to me every day. That's, (laughs) That's awesome that you talk to your mom every day. I love that.
1: My wife has been an angel. I wouldn't be as healthy or as emotionally ready for this transplant if it wasn't for her. My employer, which I mentioned earlier, they've been very helpful As along with coworkers. I have friends who call and check on me, which is Aww. awesome. My wife and I are members of an amazing church, and it feels like family. And they've been extremely supported and interested in our situation. I mean, we're just really blessed with the emotional support we have.
0: Let me ask you, a lot of parents, when they're dealing with transplant or even just regular open heart surgeries that are coming up for their children, especially when they're scheduled surgeries, they will start a blog or they will start a page. I know that some of the hospitals even have certain blog pages or ways that people can post updates. And then that way they're not having to call every single loved one or every single friend, but the friends instead will get a notice in their email, hey, Keith posted an update. And then that's a way for them to keep up with you, even if they're not calling you every day. Have you started anything like that?
1: So yes, we have. We started a Facebook page. And that is kind of to take the burden off my wife of keeping everyone updated. That's been running for probably a little over a year. And I've been listing updates when I get tests, when we get listed, just milestones that's happened kind of to keep people informed. So anyone who wants to follow, I have people on there that I have no idea where they're from, but (laughs) if they're getting something out of it, good for them. I try to be kind of funny when I write my update. So it's not just, (laughs) I got to deal with this. I got to deal with that. And I want people to enjoy reading it and understand what's going on.
0: Oh, I think a sense of humor is so necessary, Keith. What is the average weight for somebody needing a heart and liver? Are there statistics available on that?
1: I don't know official statistics. From what I can tell, it has a lot to do with blood type. Some of the more rare blood types wait the longest. Sure. So it also has to do with donor availability, which we talked about earlier. Not a lot of accidents are happening now. So donor availability is probably down. Mm. And then for instance, in my situation, I need a heart and liver. That'll come from one donor, both of them. So the heart and the liver has to be good. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have to be someone who's healthy or to the standards of a transplant. Mm-hmm. And then in my case, because I've had so many previous surgeries, they're going to also look at taking the aorta and other major connecting arteries from the donor. So those can go inside me as well, ah. um, just because my routing is a little bit different because of the surgeries right. I've had. Right. Now, Pre-COVID, the transplant team kind of had a... Estimate, they said you probably won't be waiting over three months for a heart because your blood type, your size, the antibodies you have, and everything just lines up really well with being quick to get your heart. Mm-hmm. And Penn's still doing transplants, but I am on the list four months as of now. So COVID has really thrown a wrench in the whole process, and mm-hmm. no one can really tell you anything anymore. As far as wait times go. So, if you are looking at some statistics, they probably don't mean anything at this moment, honestly. Wow. It's a guessing game. Absolutely. It's a hypothesis from your team. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much what it comes down to.
0: I get the impression that you and your wife, you live every day as fully as you can.
1: We try to, yeah. Absolutely.
0: You certainly seem to know the value of every minute that you have together.
1: Yes, absolutely. Why would you live any other way, I guess, is the way that I would think about it.
0: Right. I think when you're facing something like this, it does make you really stop and assess what's really important in your life. And I think that's one of the good things that's come from COVID is that it really has made people stop to smell the roses and to assess what's really important in their lives. Who are the important people? What are the things that I want to leave behind? And how do I want to be remembered? I mean, I think it's made all of us kind of look at our mortality in a whole new way, don't you?
1: I agree. I mean, when you think there may not be a tomorrow at some point, and there's been times in my life where that's happened, it just goes with the territory. You realize what's important and what's not important. And for lack of better word, the crap that everybody else is concerned about versus what you really need to be concerned with. Right. Right. Yeah, and I think if anything comes out of the COVID era that we're living in, I really hope that rings true with a lot of people.
0: Yeah, me too. I can't believe we're out of time already, but I want to thank you, Keith, for sharing your experience and sharing so much information with us. This is really going to be helpful to other people who might be on that edge of, do I need a transplant? Should I go the transplant route? You're giving them a very earnest look at what it is that you're having to go through right now.
1: Well, Anna, it's been a pleasure. I appreciate you having me on the show today and I look forward to doing it again.
0: Me too. I hope the next time it's going to be (laughs) post-transplant.
1: Yes, that would be nice.
0: (laughs) I have certainly been remembering you in my prayers, Keith, and all the other people out there who are waiting for transplants. It's a rough thing that you're experiencing and I appreciate you being so open about it.
1: Well, I appreciate the prayers. I think that's one of the best ways that people can help people in our situations, honestly.
0: Uh, You know, that is so true. See, everybody can do something. Exactly. Even though you may not think it matters, I think prayer matters. I think prayers and sending positive energy, healing vibes. (laughs) I think there's no downside to that. It makes you feel better for feeling like you can help a little bit. And I believe in the laws of attraction. And I do think that it makes a difference. That does conclude this episode of Heart to Heart with Anna today, folks. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, please consider being a patron. Just go to heart, and pledge a monthly amount. We sure appreciate that. It helps us with all of the expenses involved with not only the podcast, but our website and all of the other programs that we're trying to put together to help the congenital heart defect community. That's it for season 15. I cannot believe that we're already at the end of season 15. We've done over 280 shows of Heart to Heart with Anna, but we'll have more coming again in 2021. We'll be sharing classic episodes through the rest of the year and all of the holiday times. So don't miss us. We'll be putting stuff out on Facebook so you can see some of our classic episodes. Happy holidays to all. Thank you for listening. And remember, my friends, you are not